0: Welcome aboard on Consider Everything. I'm your host, Brig Haynes, and let's go explore today to improve our mental health tomorrow. So I am here with Carl Dumas. He is one of the uh, members at VASA. I met him when I was working there, and he was a member, and he used these anti-gravity uh, leg holders, and you said it decompresses your spine, right? Yeah, Something like well,
1: that. you know, it's just like an inversion table that you might see at the chiropractor or physical therapist. So just you know, strap them on my feet and flip up, do a, do a toes-to-bar on the pull-up thing and hook them over there and and then, uh, instead of just hanging there. I get bored easy, ADHD. has something we have in common, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, I remember so, that,
0: yeah. When we get together, it's just a, it looks like it's probably just a whole bunch of nonsense going on. Most where of the is time. <laughs>
1: most of the time, yeah. yeah. All this stuff that I see on Instagram, Brigham, and you know, and it's uh, kind of like, stuff, that but. can't be done, <laughs> which translates in my world to, watch me, I'm going to try it tomorrow. Yeah,
0: um, well, I mean, Carl, I thought we'd first start out, because I've gotten to know you quite a bit, you know, I've we talk in the gym every time you uh-huh. come in, but I've never really got to know you, I've never really have been able to have the chance to get to know you on a deeper level, To um, get to know your life, where you grew up, that kind of thing, so if you just want to introduce yourself to us and talk about... Who you are and why you're doing what you are doing today in the gym and stuff.
1: Well, I grew up in uh, upstate New York. And uh, here in Utah, we've had a lot of snow this year. But that was the normal where I grew up. Um, We had a storm one year. where in four days. We got 101 inches of snow. That's about eight foot. Where was this at? Right on Lake Ontario in Oswego, New York. Oh, okay. So I went to school there. Uh, Just thought I wanted to be a high school French teacher. So I went to college my hometown, State University of New York at, uh, at Oswego. Um, but then I did my student teaching and decided I didn't want to teach. So I, uh, but, you know, third quarter of your senior year is a little late to change your major and graduate on time. <laughs> so, so I went ahead and graduated with a degree in secondary education. But but uh, I didn't want to teach, and I got a job in a mental health center, and then I uh, Went to Los Angeles on vacation. I had about five weeks accumulated time uh, with sick time and comp time and vacation time. and But I ended up staying there and fought for five years uh, working <laughs> in a psych hospital. And I actually taught one year. I taught English as a second language. A junior high in watts which is you know always a treat um, yeah. you know, side of the riots um, <laughs> but um and then i joined the air force and you know traveled around but as far as why i do some of the stuff that i do in the gym i after i retired from the air force and then i uh, i was working for a cemetery mortuary company selling pre-need cemetery and funeral plans And then I went to seminary and got a Master of Divinity. And so I pastored a church in Ogden for for 10, 12 years. But uh, after I retired, I was driving past where Voss is now, and they hadn't built it yet, but they had a trailer out there. And, uh, you know, they were doing uh, pre-sales. And I'd been to the doctor, and they told me I was pre-diabetic. So
0: Were you overweight at that time, or was it just...
1: um, I lost... Thirty pounds, maybe the yeah. first six months I was there. So you know, it's 180 for my height's not too bad. Height, not too bad you no, know? that's I mean, not high. That's not very
0: really high.
1: And I'm, you know, I'm at about 150 somewhere around there now. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, and they put me on medicine because I was pre-diabetic, and and I thought about it, and I said, nah, I don't like this. So I'm going to change my lifestyle, change uh, change my diet. And I went and told the doctor. I said, "You know what? I'm not taking this crap anymore. I will come in as often as you want me to, so you can poke my finger. And if it's, if what I'm doing isn't working, then we can try something. We can try the meds again. But I don't want to take them. So that's how I got started. And I had a personal trainer." And he got me going to uh, team training at the time. When you were there, it was Studio, Studio Red. Yeah. And so so I started doing that all the time. And But I get bored easy. So, you know, I had to come up with some other stuff. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you've seen any of my recent stuff where I'm doing aerial stuff like like Cirque du Soleil yeah. type stuff. And At
0: first I thought you were stripping, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I was like, he's really moving up in his career here. <laughs> well, yeah, you know. No, doing, but I saw some The pole dancing yeah. stuff. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> yeah I'm I was like, to... what is going on here? I remember I asked you in the gym, I was like, so Carl, what's the next step for acting? And you're like, well, it could be stripping, it could be <laughs> porn shoots, you never know. But, you know, since you did work in a mental health center, I wanted to get your pain on this because, if you were working there, what was it like, and what, what was the the process of of becoming some like becoming a worker there? What was it like?
1: Um, and th- when I started, in, and this was in my hometown, they were just opening up a community mental health center, and so they were staffing it. and, and At first, the first few months I was there it was basically walk in and and call in so it was kind of an emergency type thing so oh, like a so hotline kind of yeah. thing yeah so we yeah. Uh, we were there for walk i mean at first it was pretty much during the day you know and sit there but uh, they did a lot of training for us on on how to talk to people and talk them down and you know if uh depending on what they said you know if you needed to call somebody else or send the cops out you know because they were in danger of harming themselves or others and and then after i don't know about six months they actually opened it up and so people would be admitted there and stay there so you know we're doing that so when i went to california then um, decided i didn't want to drive back i, I much preferred the beaches to uh, snow castles so as most people <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, I applied to mental health and it was a private hospital and so it was fairly easy because I wanted to work nights and then I could go to the beach during the day and and go to school and I want to do some other things too so um mm-hmm. like try and become an overnight success you know in the in in hollywood but that that never happened (laughs) it's just a hard thing to do Uh, it is it is but so you know but there there was training and you know there's staff there so this this particular hospital i worked on a locked ward for for a while so most of the time that i was the five years that i was there um before i went up to uh Decided to get the psych tech license and went up to a Tascadero for the training program. And a Tascadero is up in the San Luis Obispo area in California, but it's a maximum security facility for the criminally insane. So that was, you know, all the stuff that you see on, uh, oh, law and order or criminal minds. Yeah, that's
0: what you see. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so what... did you have to go through a certain amount of school to do that because if you're going and meeting these people and doing you know getting to know them and understanding their psyche a little better did you have to go through a lot of school to do that or what was the process of- i
1: i Didn't and by the time I went up there, I mean there would have been more training. I mean it would have been like like an LPN. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a year long training session, so training thing, and and I ended up not finishing it because I went in the Air Force instead. But um, they they bring people up and they have you there for like two months. Is an intern, I mean, you're still getting paid, but but it was kind of a trial period, so for them to evaluate you um, and for you to see if you really thought you were cut out for it, because a lot of people aren't, obviously, mm-hmm. um, because I already had six years' experience in psych, then they put me on the medical ward, which was the area that, that I was lacking in, so... But yeah, it's pretty cool when you're talking to these people and wondering why are they here. They just seem like such nice people, yeah. and then their eyes would glaze over and they'd start telling you about the some of the horrible things they'd done, and and you know, and and you could tell that they were getting really excited just reliving the memory. And they say, "Oh, now, okay, I understand. <laughs> I yeah. definitely know why you're here."
0: Well, I mean, let's look at Ted Bunny, for instance. You know, he everybody thought he was a good-looking dude. Uh-huh. He he, you know, was good with words. But anytime that they would do interviews with him, it would be that same exact situation where at first he would seem like a really nice guy, yeah. genuine. And then when they started asking him questions to talk about his history and, you know, to get to know how he thinks, it gets pretty dark. It gets yeah. pretty, pretty. Uh, just, just really really weird and a little bit o- opaque and just it, it just feels yeah. icky you know i don't know is that how it was when you're working with some yeah, of the quite
1: quite frequently yeah and in the hospital that i worked in and it was a private hospital and so it was a lot of adolescents, um and for the most part that was uh, runaways and mm. you know i mean it was a totally dysfunctional family and so they have a scapegoat and you know put put that one kid in there um and there were a lot of mental health issues, you know, schizophrenia and psychoses and different things, neuroses, um, and so so that's quite a bit different than you know like a state hospital, um, but but yeah, it does definitely uh, you know make you think when you meet some of these people, what was, who's the other, you mentioned Ted Bundy. Who was the other guy? And they, they just, on either Netflix or Hulu, they had that whole series about uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah. That guy, honestly, I've seen some of the live interviews with him. He's just kind of creepy overall. Um, even people when, you know, when he's living in that apartment complex, he was already kind of weird. Very. It, very weird. Yeah, very weird. And people knew that something was off with him, but they just, you know, he's their neighbor and they don't know him. And you can't just walk over there and walk in his apartment and see what's going on. Yeah. You know, that's it's his own private property, which, you know, we're not allowed to do that kind of stuff unless we have some kind of warrant. But... It was just really interesting because i see those interviews and it was a lot different than you know the one with the ted bundy because ted bundy he he had a good persona like right? if you just yeah. met him in person be like oh yeah this guy's a cool guy you know he's he's nice he's funny he's he's a good looking dude so you would, you wouldn't really expect much from him whereas jeffrey dahmer just something was off you yeah. know you just you know just the way he acted and the way he stared at people it just it's and you knew the screw was loose somewhere yeah. in there
1: yeah, and I think, I mean, and you mentioned, you know, people knew that there was something wrong. They just didn't know to what extent yeah. and didn't just sense something. But nothing really to go on to to justify calling the cops or demanding someone go in. Bundy, um, on the other hand, and here in Utah, there's people that, you know, it had had contact with him.
0: Yeah, at uh, Viewmont. My brother went to the high school and apparently a girl got kidnapped and killed from Viewmont High School. yeah.
1: By him? Yeah, by yeah. him.
0: Yeah. By I mean him. this was in the seventies, but he yeah. my brother, he's he was only he's like twenty, so but he just heard stories of the yeah. the the girl who did get taken from DMY yeah. and that did happen, yeah.
1: Yeah, I've heard several stories of where people, you know, had, had these contacts with him and for one reason or another, you know, stopped short of going out on a date with him and then when things played out they realized how lucky they they were, how fortunate that they had ended it or had had a family emergency or got sick or a car broke down or something, but, yeah. but it just didn't play out. Yeah.
0: When you were working in the, the mental health centers and also getting to know some of the mentally insane, what, did you notice that their childhoods were pretty rough? That if they were, if they were talking to you, they, there's clearly something different about their childhoods that was off compared to most people.
1: I really, I don't think so. I mean, some, yes. I mean, and we all have different uh, dysfunctionalities in our families. But I don't think there's anything specifically you could pinpoint to the majority of them all had this going on. Now, obviously, you know, some people, you know, came from um, broken families. Others, there was abuse, either sexual, physical, mental, emotional um, Others, you know, a parent had died, or a sibling had died, um, and people were, and, and in that process, you know, people in the family had to take on different roles, and, um, and, and I mentioned family roles earlier, you know, I mean, in every family, the, you know, you have the caregiver, you have the gatekeeper, you have a scapegoat, you know, I mean, you've got, got somebody, um, that, and people assume these different roles. But to say that everybody com- coming through some of those hospitals that i that I was involved with working at had that same kind of childhood i don't I don't think I could say that It was different everywhere they were different everywhere, and some of them, you know, from all intents and purposes, anything that we had access to, they had very good childhood, you know I mean, there's rich and there's poor and there's mixed race families there's uh, you know broken families there's abusive families so uh, but yeah I mean and some some of them you actually wonder you know if you get into that mindset of maybe maybe it's something to do with their childhood and then you start looking back and no I mean parents uh, were married stayed married you know I mean there it was never generational poverty and had access to things, I mean, had vacations, had nice clothes, you know. So, now I don't think you can say that there's pinpoint any one thing.
0: Maybe not for a large group of people, but if you're looking at somebody and just getting to know their history, right? We're not talking about the other people, mm-hmm. just one person who's having struggles with mental illness or they're mentally insane, whatever mm-hmm. uh, their situation is. Could you look in their life and see, so say, for instance, um, they're, in, they're in prison for sexually abusing people or murdering. Could you see that there was down the line of their history, right? If you look back at their history, could you see that in their family, they may, maybe if they, if they were abused sexually, because, you know, say, say they, they were the ones that abused somebody and they're not, now they're in prison. Could you see that pattern within their family history? Oh, quite
1: frequently, an abuser is someone who has been abused. That, that definitely is true. <laughs> But not always. Um, And sometimes if you go back and people think about it later, um, you know, say, gee, I should have recognized that, you know. I mean, he really liked to uh, play with kittens and puppies and then Twist their neck, you know, and, yeah. and kill them, and you know, different or enjoy torturing frogs, or you know, whatever it was, and you notice things like that. But it may may not ever have been abused. It may have been a very loving family, yeah, and sometimes too loving because they enabled that kind of behavior by not putting a stop to it early enough.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was one of the the biggest. Uh, problems i had with with figuring out like, what what is causing mental illness and that's that's the hard part is you can't really pinpoint it right now you know you can't you can't just look at somebody like oh well, that's why you know they have this deformation or whatever it is but it, like looking at the you know for, for instance with the the frog situation right so do you think maybe that's because, you know, like you are saying, the enabling where they weren't used to being around other kids? And I'm sure if they were around other kids and they did that, they'd probably have a stop to it. They'd put a stop to it pretty quickly. If they were twisting the frogs necks, I'm sure other kids would hop in and be like, hey, that's not okay. You can't do that. Because I feel like sometimes pressure, a lot of times I can see that the... The idea that you know putting too much pressure on somebody can do some damage, which I would say, yeah, you know, especially with bullying and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But also sometimes you, you kind of have to be a little bit mean in order to make somebody's life better. Sometimes you got to be upfront and blunt. Well, and would you say that's what maybe they were lacking? A lot of these people is they people just were too scared to say anything to them. Could
1: have been too scared, or, or in many cases, um, a child that's doing that maybe eight or nine but if you look closely other playmates are five and six and so they are looking up as oh, a role model to this older person so there may be one that would say you know i don't know or they may talk to their parents about it or and probably not even with the intention of saying, hey, dad, my friend, you know, Jimmy over there, he's doing some really weird stuff, and it scares me, but talking about it in very uh, approving terms, even. And then the parents get a little concerned and talk to the other parents. But, uh, But also... I think a lot of times, and especially with abuse, it's you know this is our secret. Um, there is some rewards, um, you know, don't tell anybody. This is going to be our little secret, and but I'm, buy- I'm buying you candy or ice cream or you know some toy that you want, and kind of buy your buy your silence. Mm. Um, and then other times there's threats you know okay Brigham, this is our little secret and if you ever tell anybody i'm going to kill your mother
0: which especially if you're an 8 year old that's a, that's really scary yeah. you're, you're like well that's my mom and this guy yeah. is threatening to kill her and you're an 8 year old you don't have much power and so you're going to do you love your mom you're not going to yeah. say anything
1: and and you really don't know that there are options yeah. and if you tell a school teacher tell a policeman tell a trusted family member you know that something is going on and, and a lot of times, too, especially with sexual abuse, the abuser will make uh, will make the abused person feel like there's something you're asking for this you're you know you deserve this you know you're a bad person and you de- you know yeah um, so there's a lot of different things that play into it and then then you throw in the, the bribery and the threats and you know the little bit of shaming and guilting and
0: yeah and you know, with pornography nowadays, I'm kind of shifting the, the tides a little bit here with pornography, I've noticed that, you know, cause I mean, I was a young kid. I looked at it. I'm not going to lie. Like most people have, especially nowadays when it's just so prevalent and it's just two clicks away. Uh, I would say that I, I would, I want to get your opinion on this because I know that you also help people uh, with addictions and drugs. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is kind of thing that kickstarts somebody to start, thinking in in sexual ways to, and start thinking in in certain insert certain, or, or thinking about things that shouldn't be thought about because now they're just playing with that reality mm-hmm. and actually probably becomes their reality the more that they watch it and especially yeah. the deeper they get into it so would you say pornography is especially bad nowadays because it's, it's prevalent i think out of this i could be wrong on this but i saw a piece of research that said i think four or five out of every 10 clicks is pornography so a lot of people are looking at pornography um and it's it's it's, some people claim it's harmful some people claim it's not but what's your opinion on it
1: um sometimes at at very mild levels it does help couples improve their sex lives their intimacy but one of the things that that happens is if you are a habitual viewer of, of pornography that stuff that is very staged becomes what you think is supposed to be and most people fall short of those staged things um And so they keep going, trying harder and harder and harder to prove that they're just as good as what they assume is the average and what every other guy in the world is doing. Um, There is a a guy on, uh, he's on YouTube, and his thing is called, it's the Elliot Finn, I think is. But he he was in porn movies. And so he's got like a hundred little two or three minute clips where somebody will write in a question and and he'll answer it, you know. But, you know, all these things that, you know, may look really exciting with how long somebody lasts or, you know, different things or the pleasure they bring, that might take four or five hours to film that thing with several breaks in between, and there's a bunch of artificiality in there. Yeah. Um, and it's the same thing with, with any, I mean, any Hollywood thing. It's, you know, it's theater. Yeah. And so, you know, we have to learn to distinguish the, the difference between reality and some of that. Unfortunately, a lot of people never make that that uh, distinction. So, if, if I am habitually watching pornography and i have this unrealistic expectation about what my sex life should be like then i'm constantly looking for somebody who's going to fulfill that expectation when they don't i'm liable to get frustrated and a lot of times when people get frustrated then they're going to take it, they're going to act on it and it may be violence uh, could be murder um you know i mean you didn't satisfy me the way you're supposed to. And it's not my fault because I'm a wonderful lover and you're doing all this horrible stuff. You're just worthless, you know. And and it's your fault that I couldn't have an orgasm. It's your fault that I didn't do this. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. And so people tend to go on like that. So, yeah, pornography can be pretty dangerous. Um, It also teaches us to view other people as objects rather than people, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, especially most of the people that watch it start at a very young age. Not all the time. Uh, My mom worked with uh, a gentleman in our ward, in our uh, Latter-day Saint ward. Uh, He worked with young men and any men that wanted to improve their lives and start changing their their, uh, habits of pornography. And the one thing that he notices, most of them were young men, but actually some of them were older men where they would start up you know, because they didn't really know about technology. And Mm -hmm. then when they did and they fell into that habit, they would get into that. But I'm I'm wondering, though, because you did say that pornography can change people's reality and warp that. If we're having kids watch this at a young age and they already have a hard grasp on it, they don't have a hard grasp on reality. They can't really tell the difference yet. They're still learning about Mm -hmm. life, how it really works. Would you say that's causing a lot of mental illness too?
1: Mental illness, in the way that, in the sense that people don't have the correct coping skills, um, which is a form of mental illness. You know, I mean, for some people, um, if the light turns red while you're driving, you know, the education you've had, the training you've had, tells you, "Oh, that means I'm supposed to stop." For other people, it it just sets off anger because I'm in a hurry. What right do they have to make me stop? And so they go charging through. So so it's kind of the same thing there. You know, the frustration and anger happens because of the lack of, of skills, sort of a lack of coping skills, a, a lack of tools in a, in a spiritual toolkit, if you will. Yeah. And, You know, and when I when I was growing up, I mean, you know, pornography was Playboy magazines, and you know, and everything was airbrushed, and you know, and then, uh, you know, a little bit later, there was Penthouse, and some of them were a little more graphic, but, you know, but now, I mean, if you type in, you know, I mean, you get one letter wrong, as you're typing a URL in, you know, looking for something. You're liable to end up at a porn site, you yeah.
0: know. Yeah. Well, especially, especially with video games nowadays. Uh, if you're going to free websites, for instance, to play video games, this happened to me as a kid, where I'd be, you know, looking for free games because we didn't have a ton of money growing up, and so I'd be looking for free games online. Mm-hmm. And those are the, you know, those are the the devil's hole for mm-hmm. for pornography. Just because it's so easy to to put oh, it yeah. on there, and these companies that are putting out these free video game websites, oftentimes are trying, and they make money by pushing this on yeah. whoever their viewers are, or whoever's playing the games. And unfortunately, a lot of those people are kids, and. I want to get your opinion on on this specifically with, you know, finding those toolboxes you said for um, or knowing what you have and under your belt in order to cope with these kind of things. Would you say that them watching pornography at very young ages really disrupts their idea of what they truly can control and what they can't?
1: Probably to some extent, yeah. Yeah. Definitely, because, you know. There's a whole mindset that comes with it that you're in control, um, that you have the ability to derive pleasure from certain behaviors, and then when the reality hits in, the reality sets in, and and you're not getting that. You don't have that control. Um, You know, a lot of pornography is very violent. Mm you know, for for many people, sex is not about love. It's about power. It's about control. Um, it's about inflicting pain. And so, if you grow up with that mindset, there's uh, yeah, there's definitely some stuff going on there yeah. that would that would feed into that. And what, but, do
0: you think that could really activate somebody's potential of sexual abuse too? Because if they're watching super aggressive pornography, hardcore. We're not talking just like softcore. We're talking hardcore Mm -hmm. stuff that is pretty brutal yeah uh especially what they do to some of the women or even men i Hmm. i I don't know i don't know what that entails oh that's not the kind of pornography you watch Uh, on a regular basis (laughs) Nope. (laughs) definitely not gonna watch that that's just don't want to end up like ted bundy (laughs) Um, or jeffrey dahmer yeah or both but you know would you say that watching that stuff can can really activate somebody's ability to cause harm on others and to change their reality and
1: of course because if if you watch enough of it, and you come to believe that that is that is the pleasure that that you should be experiencing on a regular basis too, then you are either going to try and force people to behave in those subservient ways, or you are going to seek out people that that look for it, or people who, as long as you know you got enough money, they don't care what you do, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, and with pornography, it's it gets worse and worse and worse. So you almost get a uh, it's a plateau if, to say of, of pleasure. So you have to keep getting higher and higher yeah. and higher. So would you say pornography is a drug? Or it could be if if somebody's watching it enough,
1: um, there is a whole movement called pornography is the new drug. I mean, it's easy to get addicted to anything. I mean, really.
0: I mean, food, you know,
1: you know, drugs. Gumdrops, peanut M&Ms, <laughs> you know, I mean, whatever. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, and that's why there's so many 12-step programs. AA and NA and OA and EA. You know, it's overeaters and emotions and sex and sex addicts and smokers and uh, crystal meth and heroin. And, you know, I mean, just that list goes on and on and on and on, you know. Um, so it's very... Very easy to get addicted to to things, Um, especially those things that aren't good for you. Yeah, you know. I mean, we all have pleasure sensors in the brain, and you know. I mean, a lot of people are almost addicted to the gym, um, you know, like me. But um, yeah, you got to get off that. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, if you derive enough pleasure from something. Then you're going to keep seeking it out, and with with addiction you know you start out about you experience a uh, a feeling um so say you uh whether it's alcohol or 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 drugs, you know maybe today's four today's four twenty so you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe use marijuana as an example <laughs> but so you smoke a joint sometime or you're with friends and you take a couple of hits and, and, you know, it's, you get giggly and, you know, and so you experience sensation and it's kind of fun. And so then you look on a regular basis, you know, you try it a few more times and, you know, it's no big deal at first. But, but for the addictive personality, then it gets to the point where you start actively seeking out that feeling and, uh, and then you almost need it. And so it's more and more and more, and it becomes overwhelming. And then um, somebody I, I heard once, and you know, it was probably on a Facebook meme or something, but it said, "Can I uh, be a little vulgar here on this?" Or is that yeah, go for okay? It, yeah. But but they said, you know, it's not an addiction unless you suck for it. And you know, I mean, that sounds pretty crude, but. And, you know, not everybody is, you know, is going to get into that kind of uh, sexual act for whatever it is, but it means that, you know, there are some standards that you lower. There are lines you thought you would never cross that because you are so actively seeking whatever it is, you are willing to cross those lines. And if that's what it takes for you to get that fix that you need from, from whatever it is, from from marijuana or alcohol or, you know, an emotional high or uh, food or sex, tobacco, whatever it is, when you are willing to go to those lengths. Now, with alcohol, it, it gets to the point where you build up a tolerance. And so it takes more and more for you to get to that pleasure point that you, you've you been looking. Um, but then all of a sudden you go into a reverse Tolerance, And so it takes less and less and less. And so, but anything is like that. Pornography is going to be like that too. Um, cigarettes, drugs, alcohol, food, whatever, you know. Yeah.
0: Well, have you, have you experienced mental illness in your own life? I, I know that it's a, a pretty broad question, but... Some people confuse mental illness with just regular everyday life of struggles and everything. But have you ever had those points in time where you were maybe sleeping way too long? You know, you had some pretty bad thoughts. Were there? Were you ever hitting those points in your life ever?
1: Uh, you know, most of my uh, personal mental illness is comes from people like you, you know, just I I have people 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 at the gym that think I'm crazy, you know. I mean (laughs) (laughs) But no. But but you know, years ago and and with me it's the opposite. I don't sleep too much. I don't sleep, you know. Um but I I thought I was very depressed. Um and so I went to a psychologist and and she did all these tests and she actually called me Uh, after she scored the test and said, "Um, I've never done this before, but you are so far off the charts as far as you know, suicide potential. I'm going to give you my home phone number, my, my cell phone number, whatever it was at the time. Probably home phone. Um, I don't think we had cell phones yet. The dial but, phones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> operator, this is operator. Number, please. Um, but um, you know, said so, because I'm so concerned that from these test results, your potential for you know suicidality is is very high. Um, I'm very frightened for you, for you. and I, I don't feel that I can justify having you committed or put, you know, but I'm still very concerned about you. Um, and what I thought was just depression so was I had a lot of anger that I wasn't releasing. And so it was kind of eating away at me from the inside, and that's what was causing these symptoms that, that I thought was, was depression. Um So she actually gave me a cardboard box and told me I should kick it around, you know, a little bit. What was causing the anger? You don't mind
0: me asking, if it's personal, you don't have to say it.
1: I don't don't know if it was anything, but but it, it was I didn't know how to appropriately express anger, frustration, confusion. And so when people would do things that... I didn't like or I didn't think were right. I didn't know how to confront them about it. So this anger, I would just turn it inside. I, I was afraid to let it go. Um, it didn't didn't have to be anything, you know, necessarily. Um, could be somebody that didn't show up on time for work, which meant that I had to work late because I couldn't leave until somebody got there to relieve me. You know, and when you're working in 24 24- Seven uh, hospital setting, you know, there's got to be staff there. Yeah. and so you know, or it could be that I'd go to a restaurant and you know the food wouldn't come out as ordered or you know, it didn't taste didn't taste right, there's something wrong, you know so but little things, but I never really had learned how to appropriately express that anger. and so it just kind of built up. and then when I would explode, it would explode, you know. Explode! I threw a roommate through a window once, because you know, <laughs> what are you, Carl, what are you doing? Man, but, you know. we should have locked you up a while ago. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I'm yeah. just
0: kidding, man. Um, but you know, going on with you know your own personal experiences, and uh, would you say that what were your what were the changes that you had to make in order to start feeling better about yourself?
1: Um, one of the things, and you know, you mentioned that I work with people with addictions, and and I have, but I've also um been in alcoholics anonymous for for quite some time um and I tell people the last uh, 3 years that I drank I was only drunk twice once for 18 months and once for a year and a half there was the a whole day, time yeah there was a, <laughs> there was a day in there when I was sick and didn't drink but, <laughs> yeah but um but you know getting involved in a recovery program is definitely allowed me to be a little more comfortable you know working the step a 12-step program you know yeah. um and working those steps have allowed me to uh change my perspective on life and yeah, I've been I've been talking, uh, chatting a lot with people on uh, online lately, and well, you just seem so comfortable, and you just seem so. It'd really be fun to hang with you. You just seem so chill, you know. And well, I I really wish that we could get together, so you know, maybe you could help me feel better about myself and stuff. And these and these are you know kids in their twenties, that are you know I would I would really like to hang out with you. Um, yeah. Because I mean I invited you on the podcast, yeah, call. yeah. But it but it's kinda like, you know, you just feel comfortable in your own skin. Yeah. And I'm not there. And I just you know, you don't get it by osmosis, obviously. But I don't know, yeah. I'm feeling it right now, Carl. <laughs> I can
0: feel the osmosis. Yeah, 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 your yeah. coolness You're, is uh, entering you know, my veins.
1: <sighs> <laughs> no, that's because you didn't turn the heat on today, and it's that, snowing outside. That's true. That would be, that's probably why. <laughs> I've been cold for three days in my house. <laughs> but yeah, so... Um, but no, uh, 12-step, you know, and um, spirituality. I mean, like it or not, and, and spirituality is a big part of 12-step programs. They talk about God, talk about a higher power. Um, but I also think that religion, uh, people who are religious seem to have connections and community and, uh, you know, their worldview leads to them being more comfortable um, because we have hope, uh, the faith, um, you know, trust that that God is going to see me through things. And, you know, a few years ago, I was in the hospital and they kept telling me, I'll be going home tomorrow and the next day, you know, we got to run some more tests. This isn't looking good. And but people the nurses would come into my room on their breaks just because they felt comfortable there. They said, There is peace on this floor in, in this room, more peace on in, in this room than there is any place else on this floor. I don't know, I don't know what that's all about, but go ahead. Carl, are you go. Jesus? Like, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> but it's kinda of like go ahead and sit down, I guess, you know. But but I also told one of them, I said, you know, this this is a win win situation for me. Um if I die, I get to go meet Jesus. And if I live, I get to keep serving him. So, you know, it's a win-win, yeah. uh, you know, one way or the other. Uh, people that don't have those kind of uh, spiritual beliefs, belief in a higher power, um, tend to assume responsibility for everything on their own. It's, you know, I am responsible for everything that happens in my life. I am responsible for everything. Ensuring that I feel good that you know, I have what I need and that isn't always That doesn't always work out Uh, so um, When I worked as a hospice chaplain um, We had we got a patient and they told me the nurse told me they said well, he's uh, He's like Buddhist or something and so when I went to talk to him. I asked him And I said, you know as a Christian. This is kind of the belief. I have about an afterlife and if any of you listeners don't know hospice, you know, generally the doctor said, you know, you've got an incurable disease. We can make you comfortable. And we certainly wouldn't be surprised if within six months you were dead. I mean, and that's kind of the guidelines for admission to hospice because it's a government funded program, you know, so they're paying for that. But so I said, so tell me what, are your beliefs as far as, you know, an afterlife and, you know, a higher power? And he said, well, I'm not really any religion, but I like the Eastern philosophy. And, you know, basically it's, I just hope I do a good enough life here that when I get reincarnated and come back, I don't come back as a cockroach. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I'm going, wow, you know, I mean, what... What a lofty goal to attain! To. Yeah, was like, I'm a cockroach. <laughs> so, so you know, uh, faith in uh, faith in God. You know, so that religious experience, uh, giving up, you know, giving up alcohol. Um, you know, was a big, big factor for me, um, but. But, you know, having that community in church, you know, where you have people, and and the same thing in a 12-step program, there are people in meetings, so you have somebody to talk to, somebody that understands, somebody that has kind of the same mindset when it comes to that. Um, You know, somebody that's struggling with alcohol can come to me, and I know what they're talking about, because I've been there. Um, They can go to other people who may or may not understand, and in the process giving bad advice or would you or say make that's them feel the reason,
0: worse. would you say that's the reason why you went, sorry to interrupt but would you say that's the reason why you decided to work in a mental health center in the first place cuz you knew what it was like to to be in a dark place to be an alcoholic for a little bit is that what were you an alcoholic before or not an alcoholic but just for were you an alcoholic i think you said you were yeah uh, yeah for that what is every two year two year period or, oh no
1: i just said the last 3 years so i started working in mental health when I was 21 and I didn't start doing anything about my drinking till I, for five years after that so and all that time I was working in mental health
0: and did that motivate you to all that time you were working with yeah. so, but did it help you to while you were like trying to overcome that yourself did it help you to give a better better advice to those that were struggling as they were coming into the mental health center when you got to know them a little better would you say that yeah. that, that was an advantage to you because you were oh yeah to i could, understand i
1: could under, and especially the private hospital that i worked in you know we had a lot of uh, people that were in there for drug and alcohol so you know it definitely i f- could feel their pain definitely yeah. so yeah
0: a lot of the mental illness diagnoses nowadays especially from 1990s until now have skyrocketed massively they mm. just uh, would you say would you contribute that to maybe how our lifestyles are changing in America specifically, or would you attribute that to just people realizing and they have more, they're more informed with it?
1: Both, 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 yeah. I um years ago I read a study um, that a lot of people in medical fields, when they were going through training, and specifically doctors and nurses, it was. Incredibly high number of people that started experiencing symptoms of the diseases they were studying.
0: That's crazy.
1: Very, but very real. So, and years ago, where did you get those? you know, where did you hear about those symptoms in studying? You read a textbook, you were in a class and med school is not cheap, so very few people, you know, actually went through that but, gee, click on your turn on your computer now and, you know, in two clicks, if you don't you know, type in a letter wrong and get a porn site (laughs) you're you're on WebMD or something and and you know whatever whatever it is you're experiencing you immediately start i mean if you've got a stomach ache and you google stomach aches and you know I mean they'll tell you well it could be this and it could be this and it could be this and so you just find one that oh this I think this is it and so you go looking oh I've got this symptom too and you know so so people develop a lot of these that are psychosomatic but but very much because of the way that uh, the society with technology has evolved we have access to so many more things that we actually think that we really <laughs> you know we we may have things and then we start acting that Way, um, I mean, it's and it's been like that for a long time. Um, the hospital that I worked in, um, we had a lot of patients from a very very affluent areas of, of Los Angeles, Palos Verdes estates, and different things. But it was amazing how if we would get a patient admitted to the hospital, um, several months later, we would have. Other ed- admissions that all knew this same this one patient, and it became very much of a status thing, um, you know, to have a therapist and to have issues, and you know, to deal help them deal with their bored housewife life, I guess. But <laughs> yeah. but but so many of the people, and they would they would very convincingly talk to psychiatrists. I mean you know i mean you, you just go say well you know my friend was in the hospital and i just think you know i just have to best her i mean i can't let her experience that if i don't you know i mean i have to be better i have to be sicker than her so will <laughs> you throw me in there and give me electric shock instead of valium you know yeah. i mean so they would have to be very convincingly uh, Convince the doctor that that there were there were problems. So, yeah, I mean, so you hear about them and then convince yourself that you have those same symptoms, and and then it becomes almost a reality.
0: There's there's studies done that show that. I Actually, was researching this a little bit before you came on the podcast yesterday. There's a study done on a a group of people that were experiencing pain. So they they put two people or two groups of people in one room. Uh, There's a two-way mirror where the the one group couldn't see the other group and vice versa. But the idea was they wanted to inflict uh, not like crazy amount of pains into people. It was just, I remember it was just little electric shocks into their hands. Uh, It wasn't anything crazy. It wasn't abusive or anything. But then they made the other people watch what was happening they bring them in one at a time so there'd be two people Mm -hmm. or one person in the other room one person in the other the other person was watching what they found was that they they had uh, connectors to their brains to see what was going on as the person was viewing as well as the person that was experiencing it and what they found was that they were even though they weren't even the ones connected to it the people that were watching it through the two-way mirror they were experiencing the same thing they were experiencing the because they were visualizing what it would feel like yeah. they saw the expressions of what the people were expressing on their faces so i wonder if that's kind of what you were saying how sometimes people that dive deep into things or a little bit too much curiosity can kind of be a damage to somebody
1: yeah, very much so
0: and i just thought that was really interesting because You know especially with how how easy it is to access anything nowadays for instance with kids you know on TikTok, on instagram on google you name it maybe they're they're being exposed to things that they shouldn't be at that age or at any time really that like you were saying with the doctors who who were experiencing those symptoms as they were studying it more and more and you can see the correlation between when it started and when they started studying those
1: things yeah and, and even that that uh, those experiments that you were just talking about, there's some others where it's double-blind. And so there's a person in one room pushing buttons, and the person in the other room is experiencing pain. Um, but that control group, the people experiencing the pain, were all paid actors. And in some of the... It, it, it was remarkable how some some people if they would push the button and people reacted like they were in a lot of pain they wouldn't do any more and they would feel the, and then they would get jolted themselves because they refused to to inflict pain on somebody else there were other people that the more Pain, you know, even though it was acting, and they didn't know that obviously that the other person was experienced, they would they would try and inflict more. They would push the button harder. They, I mean, they would increase the voltage, the supposed voltage, because. They were getting excited by seeing someone else in pain.
0: Isn't there another? Maybe this is the same study, but there's another study done where they had a, almost a dictator stand next to these people. Where they had it was the same exact setup, but they had the only difference I, I remember is they had somebody who was pressuring them to push the button mm-hmm. harder and harder. Was that is that the same experiment? It
1: may be. I mean, okay. there, there's variations on yeah. it, but yeah. Because
0: I can see that same thing where you know, nowadays mental illness is pushed like crazy. Mm-hmm. It's and I see what they're trying to do. They're trying to make it more visible, a little bit more uh, see-through, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. But I also see that as a downside, too, because now people can access anything they want to. And most of the time, it's like a horoscope, you know, where they're, yeah. they're oh, well, I match up with this, so it must mean I'm this. And yeah. I I did that myself. And I went through a really dark time, especially moving from Logan, you know, after I came back from my mission, and then I moved here. Uh, I was just trying to figure out life, understand what I want to do with my life, and, and yeah, I was experiencing some pretty dark thoughts and and I knew that something was wrong. And I started going down that horoscope path of me diagnosing myself and then reading one thing and like, "Oh, it must be this." and then you start you just it just mm-hmm. snowballs and keeps getting yeah. worse and worse and worse, and it piles up. And you can feel the weight mentally as you get more confused. I don't know. It's just, and to bring up acting, especially, I know you're an actor, right? Carl, and you've yeah. done quite a few films yourself. And you know, you've been in and starred in some of them and with acting, you know, Heath Ledger, right? Everybody yeah. knows Heath Ledger. A lot of people contribute his death to mental illness and his actual role as the Joker, uh, especially cause he, he would practice it all the time. That's all he focused on. And the Joker, he did an amazing job. The movie's a bestseller made billions of dollars, but a lot of the actors were even nervous for him because they would see him you know he wasn't himself anymore yeah. anytime he got free time he was in the mirror practicing as a joker and do you think that kind of lifestyle where you focusing on something so hard that you actually become that and it can
1: well daniel day lewis is another actor who is very much into that method acting and you know he becomes that character and I mean, he lives it for months at a time i mean mm-hmm. for Starting when he gets cast until which may be months before they ever start filming, but yeah. he grows into that role and and when you do that for in some movies take quite a while to to uh, film mm-hmm. so if you're developing this character and living as that character as the joker or some real sick pervert if you if you're Doing uh, Dahmer or Bundy in, in a film, and you practice that kind of methodology, and you live that for so long, and then it takes months to decompress from that. So, yeah, depending on the character that you're you're playing or that you're becoming, actually, uh, definitely could cause some uh, damage to your psyche if you don't have some some other things going on to help you out of those bad times,
0: and. I've noticed that, again, I've got a small view on the world just because I, I mean, I'm one person, right? So I can't speak for everybody. But I have noticed that people are kind of claiming mental illness as a superpower, right? Or something like, I have this and I'm the, you know, kind of like you're saying with the, the housewives, right? Where they're trying to one up each other. I just see that pattern going on with mental illness. but like, well, I have it worse than you kind of thing. And so I'm, you know, I'm better than you. And I feel like that's kind of an attitude where you honestly start becoming... Mental illness, you know, you become like like you're saying with acting. You know, the more that you put yourself in those shoes and try to one up people or try to to become something, you actually become that. The more you think about it, you become it.
1: Well, our society is very much entitlement driven these days, and you know, depending on the mental illness, the you know that's classified as a disability, and you get perks. And, I mean, I have, a, I have a disability from the Air Force, you know, from my back and a couple of other things. And it's like 20 percent. So, you know, not much involved in that. I mean, I retired. I mean, I have a regular retirement. But, you know, but part of my retirement comes out as a disability payment from the VA rather than finance and accounting. And I don't have to pay federal tax on, on that portion of it. Um, but... For many people, those in, those benefits that come from those disabilities, um, you know, they, the more the higher a disability level. I mean, if I um, if I had a ninety percent disability, then ninety percent of my retirement pay would not be taxable, and I could still work. I know somebody now. It's got a very high disability rating. And he's working and making a lot more money than he ever made in the military. And he gets quite a hefty pension, and most of it's tax-free. Um, you know, so if you're out to play the system, which many people are, um, you know that, yeah, it, it becomes very important to be able to to make it worse than it really is and to, to develop those symptoms. Have you so, heard
0: the the phrase, I'm going to take a mental health day? Like if somebody's oh, working, yeah. for instance. I think mm-hmm. it's... I, I understand what they're trying to do. They're, they're saying, hey, I need a break. But to call it a mental health day, I I don't know. What do you think about that? I, I feel like it's a little bit extreme to say that it's a mental health day because I well, think people are attributing that mental health applies to everybody or mental illness is for everybody. But I don't, I don't think people understand... What mental illness truly is you know I, don't, I feel like sometimes i don't even know what it is and when people start saying oh i need to take a mental health day but they use that as an excuse because they want to go who, fishing who, yeah because <laughs> who want who can you can't really disprove that you know you if yeah. somebody you can catch somebody a lie if it's a, something physical thing like say they go to a bar or something like hey i'm going to take a they're not going to tell you oh, i'm going to go take a, a drinking day right because yeah. if you say that people are gonna be like well no you can't do that but if you say yeah. i need a mental health day well you can't really disprove that yeah. And I see that people are taking advantage of that, where are like, i got to live my life, you know, it's better for my mental health, but maybe it's just the way that you're acting and acting entitled, that might be your problem, it's not.
1: Well, and for a lot of people, I used to hear that, I need a me day, I need a mental health day, I mean, people would use it to, uh, gee, I missed you in church yesterday, oh, I, I needed a me day. Okay, you couldn't go to church because yeah, okay, whatever. I uh, <laughs> just say you wanted to go to the beach or golf or something, you know. Yeah. But but you know, in a way, it makes sense if if, and we'll go back to my anger. You know, the anger issues that I that I talked about earlier. If if I realize I'm getting to that point where I'm really going to snap, and you know, it will probably get me fired if I do it at work. You know taking a mental health day. I mean, I need to remove myself from the situation so that I can collect myself, collect my thoughts, get myself back into a position where I can interact with people in a socially acceptable way. And I am very much afraid that the way things are going right now, things are escalating. And if I don't remove myself from the situation, I'm liable. to break something, punch somebody, you know, who knows what might happen. So, you know, and so I'm, I tend to go a little bit different than, than where you might be going with it. Because, because I think sometimes we all do need those times when we yeah. just, you know, things are overwhelming and it may be something at work, but it may be something in family, you know. Um, my brother a, a few years ago, um, when my There's four of us, four siblings, but um, Dennis was the only one that really was staying, really stayed near where we grew up. And my other brother and my sister were like 80 or 90 miles away. And, of course, I'm out here in Utah from New York. So Dennis was the one that had to deal with everything going on with my parents who were in a nursing home. And every time they'd fall, he'd get a call in the middle of the night and everything, you know. And so, so... Even though it wasn't anything at work, there was family things going on. You know, there was, you know, personal things going on that, okay, it's just too much. It's just too much right now. I can't, I can't do it. I, I just need some time to let things slow down. I, so. I see,
0: I see where you're coming from. I do agree with that. The only problem I see is with the younger generation nowadays, including myself, Uh, Being in that generation myself, I see people taking advantage of that. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, And and quite often, especially, you know, working at Vasa, working at different locations, you know, in restaurants specifically, every single time that somebody would call out, they would say, oh, I just need a mental health day or I need this and that. But they take advantage of it. You don't need four mental health days a week, a week. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, and yeah. I I, just, I see where you're coming from. Yeah. There are some situations where they they obviously need a break, and I agree with that. Yeah. The only problem that I can see with it is, with mental health, it's so obscure and just not known yeah. it, is that people can't disprove it. So if yeah. you're a boss yeah. and you have and you you know, have certain employees and they're saying, "Hey, I need a mental health day," that's a pretty good excuse. And you know, I feel like I would listen to it quite a bit, but there'd be a point in time where I just wouldn't mess around with it. Yeah. like okay, I'm done. I can't. Yeah. you can't keep calling out. Life is hard, we get it, but... It's know, hard for everybody. It's hard for everybody. And
1: if you don't come to work and do your job, then somebody else has to do it, and that makes their life harder. Yeah. And so, so tomorrow they need the mental health. Yeah. Right? And, and so, yeah. Well, one of the things that that obviously happens is, because of the entitlement thing, we see what the next-door neighbor has, keeping up with the Joneses, and, and want it. We think we deserve it. I mean, even these commercials. You know, you deserve. Th- I deserve this, and so I got Cadillac because I deserve this luxury. <laughs> you are 22. Why do you mean you deserve the luxury of an $80,000 car? You know, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, you can <laughs> Look get. Look at a, my hoop you, in the you, back. <laughs> you, you can get a you know a Volkswagen or a Ford Pinto or something. You know, yeah. um, and you know after you've worked for a few years and. Earned some money and you know proved yourself, then yeah, well maybe you deserve to, or or maybe you should you could feel like you can treat yourself, but to assume that without having done anything to to earn it, you you deserve it. Um, the other thing is if you have never had it, you don't miss it. Mm, and in yeah. and in many of these many of these countries, um, people. They don't have the technology yet. I mean, and, and in some places they do, but in other parts they don't. So, so obviously they don't miss it. Um, they mm-hmm. they haven't become accustomed to. Oh, if I don't have everything that you know the millionaires in America do, then I you know then poor me. Yeah. Um, time becomes a lot less uh, of a driver in our daily lives, um, and we're we're very much driven by the clock here
0: yes it's it's, everybody's so rushed nowadays that's how i I, like you're saying i i see that everybody's so anxious to because there's the big american dream right Mm -hmm. you got to give what you deserve kind of thing you know you got to be the top person but what i what i saw in honduras like you're saying is people worked really hard Mm -hmm. you know they they, uh, they honestly did you know sometimes latin america gets the the beat down about how they're lazy people and all this stuff, but they're really not. They're not lazy. Yeah. Uh, I think we attribute that to their off time when they're hanging out with family, you know, cause you'll see them hanging out in the parks with their family or whatever. I don't, I don't understand how we got to that point of calling them, you know, lazy or whatever. Uh, cause they're not, they were some of the hardest working people I've ever met. And what I found is that they, they, their value of life was not dependent on things or other people around them. They, their value was, you know, helping their their children out to have a better life. You know, where the, their values were much higher than our values here in America, where ours is just kind of get what you want. You know, get get to where you want mm-hmm. to go and don't let anybody stop you, which is good in itself. But also, you miss out on a lot of the joys in life of just yeah. being able to hang out with your family in the park. Uh, you know, sometimes, one of the most memorable things that you won't ever forget.
1: Yeah, and and that happens around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, just so many places and 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 think if you're keeping busy you don't have time to sit and complain about what you don't have and you know we have all these time-saving devices you know that make it so easy you know i mean a crock pot i mean (laughs) you you throw something in there and Turn a button before you go to work, and you come home and dinner's ready. You, know? <laughs> you probably used to throw
0: some water in there and about <laughs> rice. Yeah, <smell right. laughs> yeah. <laughs> you are like, why did that happen? <laughs> but,
1: but you know, I mean, when I was growing up, I'd go up to my grandmother's, and she'd be baking bread. You know, I mean, I mean, people just did things, and they stayed busy. And and my dad would talk about growing up. You know, they'd go out and chop wood, and you know, bring wood into heat you know, heat water so that they could take baths and uh, work in the garden. And I mean, it's just things that had to be done and so you had very little free time and so that was enjoyable and now there's so much free time that you get bored easy and don't know what to do with it and so then we swing back the other way and we try and make sure that our kids every moment of the every waking moment of the day is filled with something And since they don't have the chores to do, they don't have to feed chickens and gather eggs and milk cows and pull weeds and chop wood and do all that other stuff. We get them involved in sports and we get them involved in music and we get them involved in this and that and the other thing. And they have no time to be a kid and use their imagination.
0: Yeah. Well, and I also see the the pattern, especially here in the United States, where... We you know, we used to be really busy people. I would say, you know, like you said, we had to go out and milk the cows. We had to, you know, we had to provide for ourselves and make sure that our our houses were warm and everything. It's not like nowadays where everything is kind of given to us. You mm-hmm. know, we earn money and and obviously we're making our way. And it's not like we're not paying for them to heat our houses, but we're not the ones heating our houses ourselves. Yeah. And I also see this pattern of, especially our youth nowadays where they assume that, you know, less work and they have to live their life to the fullest and working right now is not the best thing to do. But I kind of see it the other way around where obviously you don't want to work till you're 70 because then you miss out on all your life but also this is the time to get a good base before you know you have to make money in order to do those things and to have, have set yourself up for yeah. like, success in the future you have to work and i see this pattern of oh well i deserve you know to experience my life and i deserve this and that and you know i don't need to work 40 hours a week to do that well most people have had to do that in order to be where yeah. they are today so why are you any different yeah
1: mm-hmm. i uh i talked to somebody years ago and they hit the weren't really working all that hard but because it's a very large family they got a lot of money back at tax time not money back because their their refund was probably more than they'd made in the year but with all the you know tax credits and and everything and they were always struggling financially and always needing this and that and the other and and but yet they'd get that that big check and want to go on vacation and and you know and, and you know I like to travel and I travel a lot and but and I said something one day I said why don't you take that money and, and buy the new car that you need or you know make it be a good down payment or get the one fix that you've got well you go on vacation I'm entitled to a vacation um, yeah, but I work and I take to it. <laughs> and I have the money to, like, to set but, aside. But yeah. I'm a working, you know, full time, and so you know, I get paid vacation. You know, I mean, yeah. you're not working. <laughs> what do you need a vacation from? Right. And uh, but but it's still it's you get to go places, so I definitely should. I said, yeah, and I also pay my bills, and I don't get food stamps, and I don't get this, and I don't get that. uh, And people ask me, you know, how how can you afford to travel so much? I said, work hard for 50 years, save your money. You don't need a new car every six months, and, you know, then you can do those things that you want to do. All right, Carl, well, it's
0: it's been super interesting to hear your point of view, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to learn a lot from what you had to say. hope so.
1: Hope so. You're
0: a pretty wise guy, you know. You you've lived life. You've been in all different kinds of situations. Just hearing your story, so.
1: Well, yeah, you know that happens.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right.
1: That's they, they frequently ask how you get to be an old timer, and. Uh, in twelve step programs and you know in AA especially, and it's kinda of like don't drink and don't die. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the two motivations. And, yeah. and along the way you get there. So yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Hey, I appreciate you asking me to, to be a part of this. Yeah. So it's been hope- fun. So that's good. I was yeah. hoping
0: it would be a fun experience. So, so yeah. All right, thank you, cool. Carl. All right. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in, guys, and join me next Sunday for a new episode. One.